right, so uh, we're starting off with a a light talk on Bitcoin privacy efforts. Um, yeah, I'm kind of being uh, sarcastic there. I don't think it's going to be too light, so won't be that heavy. All right, this is going to be uh, done by Justin Ernhofer. You guys have seen him quite a bit over the last day and a half. Uh, the entire day is dedicated to privacy tech projects, and we're starting off with Bitcoin's privacy tech. So, Justin, take it away. Come on up. Thank you, man. How you feeling? I'm feeling great. I'm feeling great. I went to sleep at only like 11, so. Uh, wow. I wish I could say the same. <laughs> all right. Take it away, brother. All right, everyone. Thank you all for being here. Uh, so this is not going to be a completely in-depth talk. We're going to talk mostly about high-level Bitcoin privacy approaches, predominantly as they relate to the transaction graph. This is most related to Monero ring signatures and also to stealth address, hiding the addresses. Of course, in Monero, these are stealth addresses. And this is going to be definitely approaching the topic as someone who's already somewhat familiar with Monero. So it's not meant to be a starting from scratch, what is Bitcoin privacy? It's meant to be for an audience that is already familiar with Monero and wants to check in again on what people are doing on the Bitcoin side, what the advantages are, what some of these new approaches are, uh, what some of the latest developments are, and what remaining major challenges still exist on the Bitcoin side. So... We'll cover a certain few things here. First, we'll cover ring signature-like options like Samurai Whirlpool Mixing with Wabi Sabi Mixing, Joint Mixing, shout out to Deverick for telling me to include that, uh, PayJoin, and then we'll also handle some stealth address-like such as Bit47 and Silent Payments. I will not cover private payments because it's kind of somewhere oddly in the middle, and uh, I didn't have time to work out all those, you know, the use case of those to a great extent. One major warning is that uh, privacy involves many parts. So just because someone says, hey, I found this really, really cool privacy implementation that addresses this particular limitation of Bitcoin privacy, woohoo, even if it works perfectly in a box, it doesn't mean that that's a comprehensive privacy regime for you. Of course, Monero is not even a full comprehensive privacy regime for you. You need to, of course, think about how you're using it, when you're using it, uh, who you're interacting with. And with Bitcoin, it's that to an even greater extent. So there might be some implementation that is really good at addressing uh, things like the transaction graph breaking on, 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 uh, on Bitcoin, but it doesn't necessarily prevent just revealing your wallet balance as you're making payments. Certain types of things are just impossible to overcome, and other things just require additional effort or additional tools, oftentimes put together in order to mitigate. Uh, so yeah, a singular privacy tool on its own, especially for Bitcoin, is almost never a comprehensive privacy solution. It's like what Aaron says for a lot of his cryptography talks. Just because you implemented certain types of cryptography doesn't mean that's actually a transaction protocol. These things need to translate to each other. And the actual implementation and what you actually do on the Bitcoin side is very different than just what the cryptography the bit says on paper. So let's start with some descriptions about some of the mixing-related things. First is Samurai Whirlpool Mixing. How many of you are familiar with Samurai Whirlpool Mixing? Okay, a few people. So Samurai uh, it has a pretty simple and straightforward-to-understand mixing service, which is actually one of its main advantages. Uh, they relies on Samurai's servers, so you need to rely on their server to coordinate mixing among participants. Uh, they have denominated sizes, so they have different size pools to enter. You need to break your Bitcoin into, for example, 0.1 Bitcoin amounts in order to enter the pool. And uh, there are only five participants per mix. 
Uh, that includes people who are remixing funds. Uh, one of the advantages of, advantages of that, though, is that it's just such a straightforward, easy to understand. You kind of know what you're getting into, and you'll get into subsequent mixing rounds. And the coordinator for Samurai Wallet charges a fee in order for you to actually participate in their pool for the first time. Remixing is free, based off uh, to you know to re-enter is free. Then you have Wabi Sabi mixing. Uh, this is you know the latest update to Sabi Wallet with how they handle their mixing. Um, and Wasabi Wallet, as far as I understand, is more popular than Samurai Mixing in terms of uh, Bitcoin volume that goes through. So this one's a lot more flexible. You can do a lot more stuff with it. So you can enter a pool with up to 10 inputs, it could be as low as one, um, of basically any arbitrary amounts. I'd say almost any because the resulting outputs are denominated but ultimately, you can start with almost any amount of Bitcoin you want in these particular outputs. Uh, the post-mix outputs are denominated, so you will end up with one of dozens of different types of denominations that are possible. And it still relies on a centralized coordinator in order to put these transactions together. And they are massive. Unlike the Samurai Wallet 5-in, five 5-out, five like every single instance of theirs, okay, up to... 400 uh 400 in so it's you know it's, it's significantly larger transactions um and proponents of wabi sabi say that oh look you have a much greater anonymity set per mixing round they're much more efficient than just doing five for example um and wabi sabi improves on the original wasabi mixing standards and uh the wallet code that they've implemented tries to attempt to mitigate some of the risks of common foot guns uh by that i mean better handling of change outputs, better handling of the way that it communicates what money you should spend. Uh, opponents say it doesn't go as far enough, but the latest wallet software definitely tries to address some of these. Then join market. Join market is one that definitely gets the least amount of love because it does have the highest initial requirements in order to participate. So join market is extremely flexible. The idea is that it's just a peer-to-peer -peer network of liquidity in an order book. So it is just a decentralized order book. Uh, makers will come up and say, hey, I have one Bitcoin of liquidity that's sitting here. If you want to use my one Bitcoin in your mixing round, you can pay me a little bit of money in order to use it. And each uh, liquidity provider can specify a specific price in order to use their liquidity. In a competitive market, of course, it should be pretty inexpensive. But in you know, an uncompetitive market where they, these toolings are hards and things like that, or if people are worried about their funds being flagged, things like that, then people will, of course, charge more. Uh, the maker kind of locks up. It's a very loose description, but they make their Bitcoin available for use, um, and they assign a price associated. And a taker, um, this is someone who wishes to mix, will show up and just say, hey, here's my entire list of all the potential liquidity providers and I can just pick as many of those as I want. So you can go through and you can pick five, you can pick a hundred, you can pick all sorts of different numbers. And it is up to the taker and it's also up to good wallet code associated with the taker in order to construct good transactions that actually provide good resulting end anonymity. So it's definitely more complicated. And their wallet software tries something called depths, which I won't get into, but they have their own mechanism for trying to have coin hygiene to prevent you from consolidating inputs. This is the, I, sorry, I should explain this for people in the Monero world. Um, so it still is an issue on the Monero side, but it's 
less of an issue because the addresses are are hidden. But the uh, the idea with consolidation is you spend all this effort mixing your funds separately. You know, you start with funds that need to be mixed. You put in all this effort. And at the end, you just put all the money back together in one place anyway. So it's relatively easy to trace through. Uh, and uh, they e each mixing approach needs to have their own way to address this. Then we also have pay join. So pay join is interesting because it's still interactive like the other mixing methods, but it takes advantage of an existing situation that is probably going to be interactive anyway. And by that, I mean, hey, I'm Justin. I need to make a payment for uh, the purchase of this flower. And so the merchant is probably at that moment going to be trying to look for my payment in order to actually assign it. So there's a natural point where you already have an interactivity among uh, proponents. So in, with PayJoin, instead of me as the purchaser of flour simply transferring funds simply uh, to, this to this recipient, to the merchant, instead we collaborate so that both me and the merchant put forth an input in the transaction and then it makes it more ambiguous who is actually spending money. Um, because one common heuristic in Bitcoin tracing is that the spender of funds is always the same person. Well, in this case, of course, now you have two spenders of funds, even if in effect, it's just all transfer from one person to the next. Um, the easiest way to implement BTC, uh, to in implement pay join is to turn on the setting with your BTC pay server. Uh, the downside is that this requires having a hot wallet there. So be careful. You obviously don't want to store a ton of money there. And uh, pay join is a very simple mixing solution that breaks down some of the most basic heuristics but doesn't really break down a lot of the most complicated ones uh, proponents of PayJoin say if this is widely adopted then we can make a dent even though it's not perfect it, it can really help make a dent in fungibility and privacy of bitcoin transactions um, the amount transferred can be obfuscated but the, with the caveat that if both of the counterparties practice coin hygiene if i purchase something using a PayJoin transaction but I then use my wallet in a way that's very easy for blockchain analytics companies to decipher, then they're able to, of course, then figure out what input I started with and what output I ended with, and they could then deduct how much I actually paid in that transaction. And then, of course, that's information that they could take to investigate the recipient of the transaction as well. It's almost like Monero ring sizes of two. So very early in Monero's history, we acknowledged, hey, if you have a Monero ring size of two, and one of the inputs in your transactions are known to be associated with a different party, then of course the other one is associated with this other party. Um, it doesn't quite have the same chain reaction effects that you would with a, a two ring size of Monero, but the idea that, okay, well, there's only two options, and if one of them is highly visible, then you'll be able to figure out the second one. Uh, that part still applies. So I put together a pretty big chart here, and I'm sorry for all the information on one page. You're going to want to pause this or whatever on and watching this later. Um, but I wanted to talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly of these different types of approaches. So Whirlpool, yeah, some of its good things. It has pragmatic privacy. I would say the community has there has been pretty good at figuring out what privacy people actually need and creating risk models that are relatively easy to understand and then run with. Um, and it's easy enough to use if you really buy into the ecosystem. If you are running your own Dojo node, if you are uh, running, you know, using Wasabi as your regular wallet, they do take several uh, UX steps to make it as you know, a, a relatively simple, straightforward process. So they deserve 
definitely a lot of credit for that. And it's relatively simple to understand. Again, compared to Monero, it's more complicated to understand, but compared to other Bitcoin uh, privacy approaches, it's relatively easy. Some of the bad things, it's costly. You need to pay someone else in order to mix your funds. Again, the samurai folks, it's slow. Uh, oftentimes you need to take days, sometimes weeks in order to mix your funds, which is certainly less convenient than uh, you know just simply making a Monero transaction. One note on cost though, uh, Bitcoin mixing definitely does incur costs, but it sometimes is cheaper for people to, if they already have Bitcoin, mix it as opposed to convert into Monero and then back out of Monero. And that's, you know, even for relatively small amounts, because you're paying usually only about 0.3% or so in order to participate in these mixing rounds. That's usually going to be less than most retail trade rates for two trades in and out of Monero. So even though cost exists, it's uh, sometimes a better, a cheaper option than converting to and from, uh, in and out of Monero, um, especially for small amounts. Um, it requires the dominations, which is annoying. And all the leftover change when you, um, that doesn't nicely fit these denominations as you enter the rounds is effectively burned. You're never supposed to touch it again. There are some plans to make integrations with this, the, you know, these outputs and atomic swaps to Monero to get out, but this is not implemented. So you more so are taking an, an initial cut of your money as you're, as you're getting in as well. And then the ugly. Um, so first of all, it's centralized. It does rely on a central coordinator. It cannot take your funds, but it definitely is... I mean, the, Wasop, the, the Samurai folks would probably disagree, but it definitely is a target for law enforcement to try and go after in order to uh, curtail these types of mixing rounds. It's a centralized point. They require it to set up their, their mixing transactions. So I would not be surprised if it gets targeted. Um, and also, by default, if you're using the Samurai wallet, because they use a lightweight wallet implementation, your XPUB, which reveals all the addresses associated with the wallet, gets sent to their server and they retain it. So you need to trust that they are not watching your wallet because they definitely can by default. Uh, you can avoid this. You can run your own Dojo no node and you definitely should do this because using a mixing tool where you tell someone else all of your addresses really doesn't make sense to me. So you definitely, I would argue, you need to run your own Dojo node. Uh, then Wabi Sabi. Some of the good, uh, there's greater flexibility in some of the coin join options. Uh, it is now implemented as a beta feature in BTC Pay Server as well. So again, if you did have a hot wallet sitting there um, on BTC Pay Server, you can configure multiple options to regularly mix your funds there as well. Uh, other disadvantages, fees, slow, similar things like uh, Samurai. Uh, the transactions are detectable on chain like Samurai. These are huge transactions they stand out they look different than normal normal payments and uh you know permissive mixing options require strong care because you have more options you need to be very careful that you understand the wallet software and if you don't know what you're doing just be very very careful to practice good coin control and then some of the ugly um this definitely made the news in both the monero and uh bitcoin space but the coordinator uses blockchain risk scoring tools, uh, notably Chainalysis, as, as they report, in order to uh, prevent certain types of funds from entering their mixing rounds. So that pisses a few people off. But again, it's a point of centralization. So these types of efforts are not, uh, you know, pressures are not surprising to me. Um, and then, uh, you know, how to deal with change is still an unsolved issue. Um, so you need, to, again, be really careful of change. They have a suggestion of how to use change. And one of their recommendations, for example, is, well, just don't use it, you know, 
uh, but that's hard to segregate. Uh, join market. I know less about this one, but I still wanted to cover it. Some of the advantages are that it doesn't have a central coordinator. It does have huge flexibility for people who actually know what they're doing. And it's good that the liquidity providers actually have a direct incentive. In Samurai's case, for example, remixing is free. And so you have like a, a minor privacy incentive perhaps in order to continue remixing, but you ultimately are still locking up a bunch of real money for a while and locking up money has opportunity cost. And the fact that you can use your money in order to provide liquidity on pay joint, I'm sorry, on join market is certainly interesting and, and provides value over other approaches. Uh, some of the bad, same as the others. Um, and I'd, I'd add it's more complex and has more overhead compared to other options. Um, and the ugly for that is just the tooling there is, is worse. They don't really even have a website. Um, and so there has been some effort at making better tooling for this, but it is slower. And it does involve the most comp most sophisticated node configuration and setup uh, with the highest requirements in order to participate. You can't use coin, uh, you know, join market, and you can't use Wabi Sabi using your phone, for example, because it's just, there's, there's no way to make it work because of the higher privacy uh, trade-offs that they make. Uh, PayJoin, uh, again, easy to use. There are many efforts in order to try and make this super easy to use. Um, so if you can't use a PayJoin, I do recommend trying one out. Uh, the UX is actually pretty good compared to a lot of these other options. But the bad is that you are still effectively relying on the counterparty to have some sense in terms of how they use their Bitcoin. And so I wouldn't assume that this actually helps your privacy to a meaningful extent. If you're sitting there saying, I need to have transaction graph privacy for my Bitcoin, I would not start with PayJoin. PayJoin is just kind of a nice, fun thing you can do with a merchant that supports it, as opposed to a, a holistic regime. As it relates to the Bitcoin network, though, PayJoin has the promise of providing potentially greater privacy at large when you sum everything up. <laughs> um, and... Uh, there is a way for you to delegate some of the coordination to a, a third party. Let's say if you're a recipient and you are not running the server, you're not running the BTC pay server setup, but you want to receive regular donations, you can delegate the process of tracking incoming payments to you to a server, which arguably has some benefits if you do want to support this. But of course, it's not going to be anything close like just posting a Monero static donation address. And then Monero for comparison... Uh, some of their huge advantages, no interactivity. I want to really stress, you don't need to work with anyone else to send a Monero transaction. You can do it entirely offline. Um, you can use arbitrary denominations. You don't need to break it up. You don't need to worry about amounts. Yay, ring CT. And it's fast. You don't need to wait days, weeks, whatever it is to mix your funds. They just go through very, very quickly. And even if, uh, even if it's expensive relatively to convert in and out of Monero, the speed in doing so is certainly a, a, an advantage that mixing tools really can't compete on, um, assuming you also care about privacy. Uh, some of the bad, it's arguably inefficient, uh, requires multiple churns for similar anonymity sets as if you were sitting there doing several mixing rounds. Um, if you're the type of person who is very worried about uh, your Bitcoin mixing rounds and the amount of entropy that they get and you do many in a row, uh, you may want to make many Monero transactions in a row as well. And some of the ugly is that it does little with the default setting, um, with the default consensus rules with Monero against targeted surveillance by counterparties that you're interacting with. And you can watch Breaking Monero about that if you're more interested in that. All right, now to the self-addressed stuff. 
Uh, quickly checking time. I'm good. All right. There's Bit47. The Samurai Wallet community really likes Bit47. It is very recently expanded outside the strict Samurai community, who is the only one that had implemented it for many, many years. Now it's implemented in some other wallets as well. Um, but I would definitely take every claim they make about stealth address comparisons with a huge grain of salt because Bit47 has significant disadvantages. So uh, do you ever wish that stealth addresses in Monero could be worse and involve public address reuse? Bit47 is for you. So some of the major disadvantages. One, it requires what's called a notification transaction. If you use Samurai, there's something called a connect button you need to click. That requires you to make an on-chain payment to a static Bitcoin address that you, you know, reuse among everyone else who connects. So clearly we're already at a very bad starting point there. Um, it's intended lightweight clients. The reason Samurai Wallet implements this over other options is because it does not require uh, massive amounts of scanning on a mobile device and it's perfect for their very lightweight implementation. So that's one of the main advantages of Bit47 is it does not require a full node and it does not require the transferring of gigabytes of data in order to figure out what transactions are associated with you. Um, it does require careful use because the notification addresses are reused. So if you know, you're telling several counterparties to connect to you and make payments to you, you need to be very, very careful of all the metadata that's involved with timing, with all of their transaction graph, in the transactions used to construct the transaction for the notification transaction, and all sorts of nonsense from there. Um, it provides some stealth address-like properties in that once you connect, then the sender can derive a new address for making payments to you without manual interactivity on uh, you know, additional uh, spends. You don't need to interact to receive a fresh address e each time. Um, and I'm sure you've all seen on Twitter, it allows you to flex on some normally, uh, I said blebs, but I went plebs, uh, with your paynim because they, uh, they generate like an auto, like a AI generated uh, profile picture for you. So whenever you see someone having a paynim in their profile, it means they definitely care about their privacy and they're better than you in every way. Um, so Samurai, uh, one of the other kind of ugly things of this, uh, you don't need to use a centralized server to use Bit47, but with the Samurai wallet implementation, they do make heavy use of their own centralized server in order to assign really long uh, payment codes with really short payment codes that are human readable. So if I wanted, for example, cake is great 420 to be my bit 47 like address, I'm not sure if that actually would be permitted, but something like that would be assigned as a human readable thing. And it requires a centralized s server in order to pair these together. Um, in theory, you could use something like open alias. You can take this long string uh, and put it as your open alias, like BIP47 thing, and people can connect using normal DNS, which I think is more elegant than relying on an essentialized server to have a database of this stuff, but that is not implemented anywhere as far as I'm aware. Silent payments. This is the new hot thing that people are talking about. So if you talk to a lot of Bitcoin privacy people, silent payments are probably going to come up. So silent payments are more like Monero stealth addresses. They provide much greater advantages than BIP47, but they come at efficiency costs, and so that's why you get a lot of back and forth. So it does require the use of Taproot, so that throws out any wallet that doesn't have good Taproot su support, so you need to be up-to-date on the latest Bitcoin stuff. Um, the biggest advantage is that you do not need to do a notification transaction. 
which makes it a lot better. There's no address reuse in that sense. And uh, your transaction doesn't stick out. When you make a BIP47 notification transaction, it sticks out like a sore thumb. It's so easy to recognize. Anyone can see it. Uh, but for a silent payment, it's much harder. I don't want to go to the extent and say it's impossible because I haven't investigated the implementation to that extent, but I do know it's harder. Um, then uh, the recipient publishes their silent payment address and the payer to them can easily generate new addresses for payment. Um, there's all sorts of odd things with this. So remember, silent payments are just a stealth address component. Component They don't provide any transaction graph privacy. So for people who want to integrate things like silent payments with a CoinJoin-like approach, then you run into all sorts of oddities, such as, well, if you... Like, you must collaboratively construct a coin join using uh, other members who also must be using silent payments, ex unless you want to do additional computational rounds, in which case, then you still can, but only if you have the full control over the output. Like, for example, you can't be sending from an exchange, for an example, in order to use a silent payment with coin join. Not that you necessarily would want to, but it's an example of a caveat. And so silent payments are definitely more complex in the sense of where the niche caveats are, but overall, there are fewer privacy gotchas as BIP47. It's just implementation gotchas and like oddities like that. So, new comparison chart. BIP47, PayNIMS, uh, these are, are, are among the good. They are by far and away the most widely adopted stealth address-like implementation on Bitcoin. So this is really your only option on the street right now. Um, so if you do need to uh, non-interactively receive Bitcoin payments and you need them to go to a new address each time, BIP47 is really your only, only real option at the moment. So you have to understand and suffer through the notification transactions and all the potential privacy downsides of that. Um, the bad, of course, notification transaction, the tendency to use a centralized name server. Again, you don't have to, but oftentimes it's used. And the ugly is that Rio's notification address, which is really, really bad because you need to tell people before they make a super awesome private payment with you that, hey, you're revealing address you use very, very publicly. So be very, very careful ahead of time. Um, and then you have silent payments, which I'm optimistic about, but it does not work with Samurai's implementation. So Samurai will not implement this. They've said that they will not. It will require a like running a full node, for example, or similar type requirements. Uh, there's no notification transaction, which is great, um, but it requires inefficient client scanning, somewhat like Monero, where you need to check each output to see if it's for you. We're familiar with that in the Monero space. It's obviously very inefficient. You have that silly sync time that you need to deal with, but ultimately that's a trade-off that's needed for stealth addresses, and it's a similar trade-off that's needed for silent payments. Um, and I mentioned that kind of like odd... Uh, when you try to pair silent payments with coin join thing, I would recommend for people who are just looking at this right now, just think about coin joining before and after any payment with a counterparty using a wabi sabi samurai or or, or a join market approach, and then just you know isolate the the payment to the the counterparty with silent payments and treat it as a as a completely separate thing for now. And for Monero, particularly as it relates to stealth addresses. They work pretty great, right? You send someone an address, and each time someone makes a payment to it, it appears on chain as different every time. You don't need to worry about iterating, scanning, good 
wallet implementation very well. This is more or less completely handled for you, which is really great. The downside, of course, is that it does require this inefficient scanning where you have those X blocks remaining at the top of your wallet. There's no way around this. So that just is an inherent disadvantage to the general stealth address approach. So quick, quick explainer to people who are like, okay, well, Monero has these stealth address things, but Bitcoin, you still have normal addresses that are posted publicly. What do you mean stealth address with Bitcoin? Well, uh, basically it just means an easier way um, to generate a new Bitcoin address that is then revealed publicly. And so it's an easier way to avoid Bitcoin address reuse. That's mostly the context we're talking about here when we talk about you know stealth address on Bitcoin. It's really just making sure that we're always using a new fresh address without having to interactively communicate that with the two with the two counterparties involved or potentially more counterparties involved in a transaction all right i definitely need to talk about lightning real quick because there are a lot of people that talk about lightning on bitcoin and i didn't want to talk all day about lightning here but i wanted to at least get some of the most important takeaways in my opinion about bitcoin privacy and lightning privacy uh, covered the best thing to know is that Bitcoin Live, uh, Bitcoin Lightning privacy is extremely complicated to communicate well. It is extremely complicated to isolate down, explain to people, and get someone adopting best practices for Lightning privacy. Um, it definitely is true, like with uh, Bitcoin mixing, that you can use Lightning uh, very well. If you use Lightning very, very carefully and you're careful with who you open channels with and you're very careful about the types of payments you make and how you make them, then Lightning has potentially really awesome privacy properties if you run down the route of using Lightning with the focus and with the research involved needed to make very private Lightning payments. But conversely, Lightning can be done very, very, very poorly. And so I think it's very important that as we talk about Lightning as a privacy solution for people, like, in my opinion, you shouldn't even be attempting Bitcoin Lightning privacy unless you're already very familiar and very competent with Bitcoin L1 privacy, such as how to do mixing, how to do pay joins and stuff. If you're not already there, I say you shouldn't even look at Bitcoin Lightning privacy. Um, in practice... Um, you need on-chain payments in order to actually make and configure these Lightning channels. So you need to be aware of what exposure you have on your normal Bitcoin transactions getting into this whole Lightning thing. And so we can't just gloss over that because it is a, a strict requirement in order to make a Lightning uh, private payment. So you need to be aware of Bitcoin L1 privacy initially. And then we have to remember that uh, a lot of Bitcoin Lightning wallet users, the majority use custodial solutions. And so, of course, you're not going to get any meaningful privacy with a custodial solution, but it's one thing to keep in mind in recommending Lightning privacy to people. If they're going to turn around and use a custodial Bitcoin Lightning solution because they think it offers them privacy, then they are significantly worse off than if they used any other non-custodial solution. Uh, further, Lightning is inherently a route network, right? You open channels with, with nodes, and there's a tendency for people to want to be efficient with their channels, which makes sense. It requires real Bitcoin to open and manage these channels. So uh, there's a tendency for people to open a relatively small number of channels with relatively large 
uh, lightning network nodes that have a lot of liquidity associated with this with them. This has a tendency for there to be larger nodes that are operating. Um, for example, uh, some of the largest lightning network nodes uh, with the highest liquidity are related to custodial wallet solutions, for example. So you need to be very, very cautious of how you interact with all of these nodes. You need to be very cautious about what information is revealed to them. And I would argue for now, just trust ex uh, connect to exclusively trusted Bitcoin Lightning nodes, which of course is easier said than done. Um, I don't want to have to trust someone else to protect my privacy, for example. Um, and so there's also a potential risk. I'm not saying that people are doing this yet, but there's a risk since you have large players with a lot of liquidity um, with these Lightning nodes that they will sign deals to sell their data to Chainalysis because there's no real way to know if they're doing that. And you know, if we were, it's, it's just one area of pressure for regulators to apply further insight into this, you know, super pro what's sold often is a super private system. So I don't want to talk, I don't want to spend this talk uh, time exclusively about Lightning. I just wanted to give you these thoughts as you look at Lightning privacy approaches on Bitcoin, that it's very, very complicated to do well. There are Bitcoin Lightning privacy research, uh, resources available. One thing that we did with Magic Grants was help fund uh, documentation for this. So if you just search, you know, Bitcoin Lightning privacy, there are wikis that point you in directions of things to think about. But I would argue the UX is not solved uh, with this right now. And so uh, um, basically be careful using Lightning for privacy. So let's quickly compare Bitcoin uh, transaction anatomy kind of com compared to a Monero transaction. So for the transaction graph, this hides what source of funds are truly being spent. With Monero, you have Ring CT, which provides like medium strong protection. It provides really strong protection against mass surveillance, uh, you know, just trying to figure out at a wide scale how money is being moved around. But it provides weak protection against targeted surveillance by counterparties. Again, watch breaking Monero. Uh, the amount, Monero does a great job hiding the amount with Ring CT. Awesome. Five stars. Effectively perfect there. Uh, addresses, stealth addresses, again, really awesome. Effectively perfect. Comes with the, the efficiency trade-offs, but Monero more or less has those last two perfectly covered. And then the first one is kind of covered. Uh, then with Bitcoin, the first one, the transaction graph, you're looking to coin join approaches at protecting the transaction graph. For the amount, this is complicated because amounts are always public, but typically you'll go a denominated route to do some special change handling with uh, post-mix outputs, and it gets complicated. But uh, So there's no perfect solution because there is no way to hide amounts, but you can try to make it uh, obfuscated by using things like, uh, like PayJoin, where it could be ambiguous how much is actually spent up to of course the amounts of the the inputs um and you can try to use post mix spends of close denominations so you're not leaking too much and then i guess perhaps you'd either throw away the, the remaining change output there or, or something else um and then uh, addresses you have silent payments which provide pretty good protection if implemented well and then you have uh bit 47 which i actually don't recommend i would say you really need to have a niche of non-interactive receiving of payments for that to be useful to you, um, which uh, it happens, but 
if you really want to post a static address, I do strongly recommend just posting Monero and then converting to Bitcoin if you want Bitcoin. And then uh, with Bitcoin, manual fresh address sharing is, of course, one of the... I mean, it's it's prone to user experience, uh, user experience errors, um, but ultimately that is one of the best options that you have. All right, so in summary, start with some transaction graph fraction. Start with taking the money you already have, put it through some coin join approach like Samurai, Wabi, Sabi, Join Market. Each person you talk to is going to have a different opinion on which is better. Um, I would say be careful with a lot of the drama that goes around. Uh, use sane defaults in a lot of the wallets that are being pitched. For example, in, in Wasabi Wallet, if you decide to use them, don't send funds if they say, these are not secure or these are not private yet. Do you want to send them? Don't say yes, for example. <laughs> um, and I'd recommend for uh, beginners not use Join Market for now, um, at least. Um, and then when you actually make a payment to counterparties, um, use PayJoin where supported. Uh, most Many BTC Pay Server implementations do use PayJoin, but again, keep in mind, if they are immediately selling their coins for dollars, then they're probably going to have a very traceable side on, on their end, and so you're not actually getting too much out of the PayJoin. Um, if supported, you can try using silent payments, but almost no one supports these right now. Um, and I definitely recommend, it, especially for uh, important cases where you want your privacy, to mix before and after really every counterparty interaction um, which is more or less what you do with the Monero transaction because you have a ring signature each time. You don't make like a ring signature once, then make a bunch of payments, then make another ring signature. You have ring signatures across the whole step. So you kind of need to have mixing in every step of the way with Bitcoin as well. And then for receiving payments, I still recommend manually sharing new addresses with Bitcoin right now, despite the potential UX issues. Just be careful. Um, and uh, you can also support PayJoin as you can, but I do recommend only doing this if you support good hygiene, coin hygiene on your end. Otherwise, there's really no point. Neither you nor the, the sender really benefit in my view. And if you really need to receive non-interactive payments, I just strongly recommend just, again, post that Monero address, convert to Bitcoin later if you really need to use Bitcoin. Um, Bitcoin can be used with similar privacy benefits as Monero. We all know this. Um, it's been described many times. It, but you have to be very, very careful. Uh, there are tools that definitely help with this. But compared to Monero, it's, it's, the user experience is not even remotely the same. Um, telling someone that you have transaction graph privacy, you need to pay a third party, you need to wait days or weeks. It's just not the same user experience of just clicking send in a Monero wallet. Um, one tool usually isn't enough. You need to join multiple things together. Um, for example, uh, uh, Samurai Wallet has a whole suite of tools, not just the rule pool in their wallet um, for handling change, for making payments. All the fun names they use like Stowaway and Stowaway 2X and all the fun, cool names they have. Um, I do think that interacti inter uh, interactivity um, and duration, you know, the long time it takes, remain the two main weak points for the leading Bitcoin mixing services. Um, and oftentimes centralization is is a potential risk as well. And I actually don't recommend to any wide audience a, a use of any particular Bitcoin privacy tool because I am worried that they're going to mess it up ultimately. I, th I th 
more likely to run into challenges than you're going to run into advantages. And if you are, uh, so if you're just a casual user, you, in my opinion, you really should be using Monero for your privacy. And if you need to make Bitcoin payments, you should just occasionally convert to Bitcoin for the payments you cannot make in Monero. Um, but if you're at the point where you're, you know, a, a person who's sitting down, planning out how they're going to use all their different Bitcoin outputs and all sorts of stuff like that, you definitely still can use Monero to that level of sophistication as well, um, using wallets like Feather. Um, but normally it's not needed for the vast majority of people. So because it's Bitcoin has a high bar to approach compared to Monero relative privacy, that's the main reason I don't recommend it for people. And then finally, I think the biggest thing is uh, fungibility. So even with all the Bitcoin privacy approaches, it does not, in my opinion, get really any meaningful amount closer on fungibility. It does not prevent blockchain analysis companies from assigning risk scores to addresses. It does not prevent uh, entire mixing pools and transactions just being marked as inherently higher risk and that information being communicated to people. It does not prevent every output that has ever touched Wasabi being sent to a list, you know, to someone. Um, so that, you know, privacy on Bitcoin, privacy approaches on Bitcoin like this do not fix the fungibility problem, in my opinion, to any meaningful agree, degree. And so if you want to, if, if you care about using money and want it to be, you know, not flagged as potentially higher risk, I argue that Bitcoin privacy does not address any of those concerns. Um, it, it can make your, you know, stolen darknet money uh, be considered lower risk because it now appears as mixing money, but it can't make it so that this looks like, uh, you know, newly mined uh, Bitcoin, for example. Um, so if you are going down the Bitcoin privacy route, do expect to have a really hard time with centralized services who are probably going to ask you all sorts of questions. They need to know why are you opting in? Why are you paying someone else money? to add privacy to your to your Bitcoin transactions if you have nothing to hide. Whether that argument's right or wrong, that's going to be uh, continue to be parroted by compliance professionals and exchanges. So uh, in Monero's case, we have the great example to say, hey, someone might have Monero because they it's the only coin they can mine because it's the only CPU mineable coin. So they might not even care about the privacy, right? And that's something you don't really get to say about Bitcoin mixing privacy approaches because it's just not the same. I don't think I have time for questions. So to keep us on time, I'm gonna skip questions, but this is how you can reach me. I'm Justin from CakeWallet. So if you have any annoyances with CakeWallet, you can talk to me after. But uh, I'm, our, our goal is to make these things as simple as possible to people. So when people ask like, why haven't you implemented Bit47, for example? Well, it's because of a lot of the reasons mentioned earlier, right? Um, so uh, we're, these are still ongoing things. Not everything's perfect, but Privacy is a hard UX to get right. And so these are sorts of things we think about with Bitcoin and Monero day in and day out. All right. Cue everybody. Do you love coffee and Monero as much as we do? Consider making gratuitous.org your daily cup. Pay with Monero for premium fresh beans. And if you like what you taste, send a digital cash tip directly to the Guatemalan farmers that made it possible. Proceeds help us grow this channel, Gratuitous, and Monero. All right. Jason, are we, are we ready for the next? 
We could take, Justin, we could take like one or two questions while we wait. Like one or two questions. Any questions, guys? Anybody? All right. Sure. Um, you, you mentioned um, like churning to get extra privacy with Monero. What are some best practices with churning? I mean, is it, do you do it, like for example, do you do it with all your Monero? Do you do it uh, right away or spread it out over time? And how many times do you do it? That's a great question. How do you churn? Um, I would say the strictest way, the best way to churn is to churn each output individually, if you can. Um, but that is not necessary. Let's say you always receive money from the same person. You don't need to churn each output individually. It's if you receive, um, think segregate by counterparty that you receive funds from. So if you receive funds from three different people, churn the receiving amounts from each of those three individuals in their own respective groups. Um, as it relates to timing and different things, um, yes, it's possible to churn very, very poorly um, and do so in a way where you are revealing other metadata like timing in particular. So I would say start with, uh, start with the same approaches that they use for Samurai uh, mixing because they have to have their own set of metadata mitigation efforts for their, uh, their mixing rounds. So look at what they do and I'd say start by trying to replicate that. And uh, at, Honestly, that'd be a good Monero Research Lab discussion showing up and say, hey, this is what this is what Samurai does with their mixing rounds. Should that be a good starting point for churning? And we can see if there's other revisions from there. But yeah, there actually are not good guides or recommendations or really any tools that auto-churn or anything like that. Because A, it's typically a niche use case. And B, I, I don't know, maybe people don't want to say what they're doing either. All right. Thank you.